absolutely don't let them tell you no. Uh, I didn't have the GPA to get in. I think they wanted a 2.8. My overall is a 2.5 because of those Japanese classes. Uh, you know, my grades were from five years ago, and I just had been working. Yeah. So I wrote them back when they told me, like, unfortunately, you don't have the qualifications. I was like, hold up. You're not going to deny me this. Like, you need to judge me on what I've been doing in these past five years. And what I've been doing is I've been teaching in Korea I've worked in a mental hospital. I've worked with kids who have autism. And I can give you recommendations from all of those. And so they were just like, okay, we're sending it to the department. And then the department asked me for a Skype interview. And then they were like, okay, we're going to accept you. And so far, my grades have been straight Bs. That's me doing the essay the night before. So imagine what I could get. But I'd actually done the work on time. Yeah. Hello, hello! Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Naila as the guest. Yes, we have stepped into June, uh, also have stepped into Young, Gifted, and Abroad's anniversary month with Naila. Uh, Naila and I were both undergrad students at Michigan State University at overlapping times. Um, Apparently, we were, we were in similar circles and, and know a good number of the same people, but for some reason, we just never got acquainted until recently. Um, somehow, I ended up following her on Instagram. Uh, she is a model and a blogger, and I was vaguely aware of who she was. And so one day, I noticed in her Instagram bio, it said, um, you know, she's from Detroit, and then she she lived in France, she lived in South Korea, and now she's in the UK. So I messaged her and was like, I introduced myself and was like, hey, you know, would you be interested in talking about this stuff? And here we are today. So um, Naila studied French in France um, during her undergraduate years. Um, if you remember Nyasha from episode two, she did the same program as Naila at in different years um, but that program is in tour or tour and that's a summer program uh, specifically for French language study so she did that and um, she had such a wonderful time that from there she had the travel bug and she was itching to go somewhere else uh, after graduation and didn't really care where and um, she decided to take the English teaching route to get her out there and she ended up in South Korea. So she taught in South Korea for two years and that was really interesting. Uh, she went from teaching in a mountainous village near the North Korean border to uh, teaching closer to Seoul and, and just being in those different locations was an experience plus everything else on top of it with work and everything. And um, now she's in London. Uh, in fall of 2018, she moved to London to begin attending grad school. And uh, that's where she is now. So she was kind enough to spend time talking to me about all of that. Um, and Naila is just so sweet. And she's just had such a variety of experiences, not just with travel, but with life in general. I feel like she, she has had every job under the sun and counting. <laughs> Um, so I really hope you enjoy our conversation. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Naila Brown. 
I really do appreciate it, even though it's so late for you right now. <laughs> no, it's no problem at all. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, well, why don't we start with you introducing yourself, if you don't mind. For people who aren't already familiar with you, um, anything you want people to know about you right off the bat. Okay, well, my name is Naila. Um, I graduated from Michigan State University, same as you. Uh, mm-hmm. I graduated in 2002. Uh, 13 though um, and I majored in psychology I had a minor in French and I also had a specialization in bioethics, humanities and societies which I don't think exists anymore at MSU I think they got rid of their specializations but I'm not sure hmm. um, but yeah and I am currently living in London so <laughs> yeah like I think in your Instagram bio it was is like Formerly, and then there's the U.S. flag, French flag, South Korean flag, mm-hmm. and now the U.K. flag. Right. So you've been like, you've had quite a few journeys so far. <laughs> that is correct. And I'm, if I'm not incorrect, did France come first? Did you go to France while you were at MSU? Yes, that's correct. So, okay. uh, yeah, so I minored in French, and mm-hmm. then. Um, I got to a point in my French classes where I was like passing the written work, but I couldn't understand anything my professors were saying. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why is this? And then I looked around the classroom and I realized that everyone in my class had already studied abroad. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to take this seriously, I need to study abroad. Like there's no other way for me to be able to understand (laughs) my professors. And when I came back from my study abroad, I was able to understand my professors in French so that's why I did it nice nice is there a particular reason you chose French I know you mentioned studying other languages as well Uh, Mm -hmm. why was it French that um why French out of all of them that you decided to commit to as a as a minor so I've actually wanted to learn French slash be French (laughs) like (laughs) my whole life like probably before I could fully speak English and I don't know what triggered it I don't know if it was like the movie Anastasia and it's like Perry I know (laughs) I don't I don't know what it was but I just know I've had this dream since I was a child um and so I've been studying French for I studied in total eight years it started in high school it could have started in elementary but unfortunately I changed schools and the school that I changed to did not offer uh, language courses because my elementary school you did three years of German and then three years of French but I left when the French was supposed to start Um, so it's just always been my dream and that's why I picked French or studying in France but um, for the other languages I haven't studied as long as I've studied French it's only like less than three years for the other ones but French eight years so mm-hmm. and what were the other languages again that you were studying during that time so well German when I was a child like yeah. I said because my school just that was just mandatory everyone did three years of German and if you stayed three years of French um, and then I did Japanese for two years at MSU and Turkish for one year at MSU yeah, that's quite a variety. <laughs> it is, it is. I mean, I'm obsessed with Japanese anime, mm-hmm. and so that's where the Japanese came in. Turkish, I'm ashamed to say 
Never do things for a guy's attention.、Oh. Yeah, but I, <laughs> but I love Turkish. So, I mean, great things came out of it. And now I'm like meeting Turkish people here and they're so shocked and they're like, thank you for studying my language because obviously Turkish is not a language that people choose to study. So、yeah. they're like really happy that I chose it, but it wasn't for good reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least you have a story to tell now, and you have a <laughs> lesson learned, I guess. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> um, so, when you were going to MSU, and you know, as you said, at some point you decided to study abroad in France, well, you mentioned it was seeing the other students around you that and how they were able to understand the language better because of their experience that made you go. So, was it not until that point that you had considered it? That's actually exactly it.、Um, oh, okay. I didn't go to MSU with the intention to study abroad at all. Well, I went to MSU again. Like, I don't have the best in- reasons for doing things. <laughs> I, you just I, do them. I grew up in a very sheltered lifestyle. Like, my parents did not let me do anything, go anywhere. And so, when it was time to pick a university, I was just like, I'm from Detroit, so、mm-hmm. I didn't mention that in the about me, but I'm from Detroit.、Um, and I was like, Wayne State is too close. And I didn't know that U of M's actual campus was located in Ann Arbor. I had no idea. I thought it was the one in Dearborn. So I was like, that's <laughs> still too close. I got to get as far away as I can. So I was looking at like Grand Valley State and Michigan State University. And I actually got rejected from Grand Valley State. But I got、mm-hmm. accepted into Michigan State, which makes no sense. But yeah. And so that's why I picked MSU. It had nothing to do with studying abroad.、Um, but my roommate,、uh, I had the same roommate for all five years that I did at MSU.、Mm-hmm. She was so keen on studying abroad. Like that was her dream. And I was just like, no, that's a waste of money. But as I told you, I got to. <laughs> This point where, okay, now, like, you know,、uh, language classes at MSU, they're 100 level, 200 level, 300 level, 400 level classes.、Mm-hmm. And so I was now in the 300 level classes, and there's nothing above that except for 400. And I couldn't understand anything. Like, I felt like I needed to be back in French 101, but that work was too easy for me, and I could pass everything on paper, but I couldn't understand anything that anyone was saying. And so, That's what really made me study abroad, but I wouldn't take back that experience for anything. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <clears throat> Where in, did you go like for summer? Is that what you did? Yeah, I、okay. went for the summer, so it was just three months. Okay, and where were you in France? So I was in Tours, which is a city that's like three hours south of Paris. Okay, so you were there for three months during the summer, studying French that whole time? Right? Yeah, that's correct.、Um, that's、so、like language... a... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, I was going to say it was the Language Institute just for studying French. Okay. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that's like a pretty popular program that a lot of MSU French students do, right? Right. I mean,、yeah. there's, only, there's only two. If, I mean, I don't know if they've changed it since we've graduated, but I also worked in the International Student Office, which shares the same office as. Study abroad, so I'm、mm-hmm. very familiar with their programs and just very familiar to what was offered to me as a French minor. There's only two programs there was an internship, and then there was that study abroad and tour. So I actually tried to do the internship, 
And I left the interview crying because the professor was just like, you can't speak French. Like, I can't give you a job. And he was like, I mean, don't cry. Like, I'm not trying to upset you, but you can't, like, you, I asked you what, or like, how old you were, and you couldn't even tell me. And so, Oh, yeah. that's so sad. I'm so I know, sorry. I, mean, I like, know this was years ago, sad. but that's so sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I didn't have a choice but to do this other one. But again, every like I said, I wouldn't change this experience for anything. And everything happens for a reason. So, yeah, you know, I'm glad I did it. Mm-hmm. And did it, you said it was like your dream since you, you were little to go to France. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you went, I mean, <laughs> did you have a certain expectation of how it was going to be when you went? And um, how did like, the real thing measure up once you were actually there, you know? That That's such a good and important question uh, because I feel like a lot of people do have expectations when they go there, um, mm-hmm. and I would say don't. But luckily for France, I don't know, it was everything that I dreamed and more, and I'm really happy because that was my dream. But whereas, like, for example, my older brother his dream was to come here to London his whole life and he just came and he actually was not that impressed Mm. so I feel bad for him because his dreams were kind of shattered but mine like sitting in front of the Eiffel Tower eating a baguette like it was just more (laughs) magical than I could have ever you know imagined so it actually did measure up I don't think I had uh, I did have the expectation that it was going to be very similar to American culture and it wasn't Mm-hmm. Um, I I just thought everything was like globalized, westernized, you know, and it, there were these differences that I was not expecting. But that wasn't necessarily a negative thing, you know. It's just that's the only thing that I wasn't expecting. I just thought it was going to be completely like American culture, but in French. That's that's <laughs> what I thought it was going to be, and it was not. Like yeah. there are cultural differences. So. Yeah. What was, like, one of the most uh, significant uh, differences that you noticed? Maybe something that caught you by surprise? Because it was so long ago, it's not so fresh in my mind. The only thing I can think of that has now changed my lifestyle as well is that they go grocery shopping, you know, pretty much every day, every two days, every Mm -hmm. three days. Whereas in the U.S., we buy in bulk right like when we go to the grocery store our intention is not to come back until two weeks later mm-hmm. or even a month later yeah. we've got like a <laughs> sam's club or costco card so but there they were going grocery shopping every single day and that is a habit that i still carry with me until this day is buying you know fresh produce and once you know okay i finished you know this brock this head of broccoli now i need to go to the store buy another hit of broccoli Mm -hmm. so that was one thing I wasn't expecting I can tell you something that shocked my classmates but it didn't shock me because it's something that we do in my household was that we were told that our house parents were in charge of washing our clothes Mm -hmm. and that they did not use dryers and my classmates were just like they don't use dryers (laughs) (laughs) you know they were shocked but in my basement in Detroit we actually have a clothing line and so we only use the dryer for things that we don't care about shrinking undergarments towels bed sheets but for my actual jeans and things because I'm five nine I don't want my clothes to shrink so it actually hangs on the line so that was nothing to me but my classmates were just like oh my god what is this you know (laughs) 
they, I didn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like um, when I went to Japan, when I was studying in Japan, we had to, uh, you know, hang our clothes. Like, they had washing machines but no dryers, so we had to hang our clothes. And it was something I'd heard of that I'd never done before, but it's something mm-hmm. that you easily just get used to, you know. Right. Um, yeah. It wasn't, like, a huge thing. So that's really funny to me that they were so shocked that... Um, yeah. Because uh, I know some people in France do have dryers, but it's not like... Right. It's maybe not as commonplace as, as here in the States, maybe. Right. Um, I think it's probably like here as well, where it's like 50-50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> well, they got to learn something new. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hopefully they now use a line at home. I don't know. <laughs> and, um... You know, you were going there, obviously, to study French. Do you feel like your proficiency improved the way you wanted it to while you were there? Oh, yeah, definitely. 100%. And it wasn't just me noticing it. Just because I didn't live in Paris, like I lived in a smaller town. I want to say, honestly, it was about the same size as East Lansing. Hmm. Um, And, you know, if you go to the same places in East Lansing, they're going to know your face. And so it was like that. In the town that I lived in, I would go to the same, like, panini shop every day. Um, and so, at first, he would be asking me, like, do I want condiments or something? And I didn't understand what he was saying. And by the end of my stay there, he was asking me those questions. And I'm like, no, no, thank you. I don't want that. Oh, yeah, a little bit of that. Oh, yeah, sprinkle that on. Like, I'm <laughs> saying all this in French. And he was like, okay. And then he gave me uh, one of those, like, frequent... You know, those, like, punch cards where you get, like, 10 and you get a free sandwich. But that was literally, like, my second to last week there. I was like, is this, like, my reward for finally learning French? Why would you give it to me now and I'm leaving? (laughs) I was so sad because I've been there for three months, going to him for three months. And he just gave it to me the week, you know, before I was leaving. But, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. My French improved so much. Now, is it there now? No, but that was five <laughs> years ago Yeah, when I studied abroad. Yeah. What do you feel like was the most beneficial for you in improving your proficiency? Was it being in class? Was it like exploring and interacting with French people? Um, you know, was it like one more than the other or a combination of things that you felt really um, improved your proficiency at the time? I think just living there in general and interacting in daily life because it wasn't necessarily my class especially since uh like I said this institute was an institute specifically for learning French Mm -hmm. but as soon as we left out the classroom it didn't matter what country you were from I had people in my class from Libya Lebanon Canada, United States, Syria, like it did not matter what country you were from. As soon as we left those classroom doors, we were speaking English. Mm. So it wasn't necessarily (laughs) the class itself. It was just interacting in daily life, like me going to the grocery store and having to use French, me going to a cafe and having to use French. And I don't know why it never clicked to try English. I don't know. It just, I just never thought about that. For me, if I didn't have the French to say something then I just wouldn't go to that place so like McDonald's for example Mm -hmm. I was so afraid to order (laughs) so I never went to McDonald's 
McDonald's. I only went once and it was with a friend who's from France mm. and I had him order for me. So I just, it just never occurred to me to try English. And because of that, I would just try my hardest in French. And I felt like that was the most beneficial. Yeah. That's so funny. That reminds me when I was in France, I had the same issue with like not being sure if I felt like trying to <laughs> use my French to conquer whatever uh, task it was. So like I, I, I think for a long time I didn't go, I didn't eat out because I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to have to figure out how to ask for what I wanted and everything. And, you know, yeah. maybe that's like, I don't know. I guess you could say that's kind of cowardly, speaking on, like, my part. But I don't know. I, it just took time for me to get used to it and be willing to, like, make mistakes. Because it's not what they say with anything, especially learning languages. You have to make mistakes so you can learn. So, right. But for a long time, I, I just didn't eat out because I didn't want to. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't think that's cowardly and the story that I thought about when this happened to me, which obviously when I was watching this at the time it didn't affect me until I was living it. And so I worked for International Students mm-hmm. Office at MSU and so we would show this film every year, um, of you know, international students had, who had come to MSU. Um, during orientation we would show this film and it was this it was a student from china and he said he went to subway in the u.s and he tried to order a sandwich and he didn't know the names of you know the individual like toppings and stuff and so he just said everything and he said that was the worst sandwich (laughs) that he has ever had in his life but because he made that mistake that motivated him to learn tomato, onion, pickle, cheese, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And so I just, I, at the time when I would watch that story every year for mm-hmm. international student orientation, it didn't mean anything. It was just a funny and cute story. And then when I went to France, I knew exactly where he was coming from because I was like, I don't know how to say, I don't want this on there or I only <laughs> want this. And so no, I don't, I don't think it's cowardly. I think it's something that people who study abroad, move abroad, live abroad, whatever, mm-hmm. go through and we don't even realize that the natives in that country don't even realize the yeah. struggle that yeah. people are going through. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I feel bad for that guy. Everything, Especially at Subway, because Subway is not even like the best sandwich place in the world. No. And you ask for everything. Like, yeah, I can, I can imagine that was probably the worst sandwich you ever had. And probably the most expensive, too, because Subway is only supposed to be like, what, $5? For Something like that. Long? Yeah. <laughs> probably like $10, because he ordered everything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you're in France, you're learning, you're, you know, interacting with people, having these experiences. Uh, what did you tend to do outside of class? Besides going on, like, your typical errands and whatnot, like, what did you do with the rest of your time? So, normally, me and my classmates from MSU would all get together, and we would go to this place called La Ganguette, which mm-hmm. was just, like, this kind of, I don't know bar situation that like sat on the river and so we would pretty much go there every single night I think once we went to a club but usually it was just log and get every single night that, that's what I did mm-hmm. 
with my time there. I mean, but that helped because we met some of the locals who were our age at that time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you probably won't believe it, but I am still friends with some of those people that I met at a club to this very day. That's amazing. To this day, we keep in touch. So I don't know. And that helps my French because obviously I'm communicating with them in French and they've tried to learn English because they want to be able to communicate with me better as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And were you able to, I mean, you mentioned eating a baguette in front of the Eiffel Tower. So obviously you like went to Paris. Yeah. Uh, Was there anywhere else within France that you were able to visit? Oh yeah. There were uh, a lot of places. So Paris was actually a field trip. Um, It was just part part of the program that you pay for if you do the tours, study abroad. Mm -hmm. Um, But I actually stayed in France for one week longer because my best friend just happened to be from that same city that we were studying abroad in. So Mm -hmm. I stayed with him and uh, his boyfriend is a lawyer. And because of that, we had to go to different cities and I actually got to sit in on one of his like court rulings, which is like, I didn't understand anything because you don't learn that kind of French in a classroom. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even think I know that kind of English. Right. So <laughs> I definitely didn't know that. But I thought it was a really interesting experience that most people don't get to experience. Like here I am sitting in a court courthouse and their uniform too. Their uniform looks like what we wear when we graduate obviously Mm -hmm. it's black and white but they're wearing robes and so that was also another cultural difference but that took me to Limoges um I visited the south of France uh Montpellier Uh, it turns out there was someone from my high school living there (laughs) I was like you didn't even study French in high school and he was like oh no I did but I failed (laughs) but there he was yeah in the south of France, so that was crazy. And I actually hitchhiked to that city that I was in, in the south of France. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, mostly just the surrounding area of where I was staying, and most of it was field trips. Okay, nice, nice. And um, you are a model, correct? Um, right. Or aspiring, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I mean, I do, I have done professional Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you're a model. (laughs) You can call yourself that if you want. Um, I I mentioned that because, well, I I want to ask you about the whole Instagram thing later on. But uh, going to France especially, that's like a huge, well, Paris more so is like the huge fashion capital. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm wondering what you observed as far as like fashion went while you were in France. Did it happen to influence your style at all? Or, um, I don't know, maybe people were dressed real regular and you didn't really feel <laughs> that impressed by what you saw. I don't know. So what was? What did you notice as far as fashion goes while you were in, in France? No, that's, that's, a, that's a great question because I did pay attention to the fashion and I did get influenced by it. And I would like to think that I just have my own style that mm-hmm. just comes from my own head. But really, no, I do get influenced every time I live somewhere so when I came back from France and went back to MSU you know a lot lot of times people were mistaking me for a French person Mm. they really thought I was French until I told them no I'm I'm American 
And in Korea, when I left Korea, you know, I, I still dress in their style as well. And I don't know what I'm going to take away from London. We'll see. <laughs> But in France, I, the big difference that I noticed is that there is a huge difference between the way people in the North dress and the way people in the South dress. Mm. First of all, people in the North, and this includes Paris, um, they dress in very neutral colors. So they're only wearing blacks, whites, tan browns, grays. That's like very, very neutral. And I just like could not stand it. I really <laughs> could not stand it. And I'm not the most colorful. Well, now I am. Now I certainly am. Um, because of my Instagram, I've changed the aesthetic of my Instagram. But before I was, I was not the most colorful person. Um, but I don't wear only black, white, gray, and mm -hmm. tan brown. Uh, but in the South, I noticed that they were a lot more free in the way that they dressed. Uh, they wore a lot more colors, showed more skin, you know. Um, I don't know if that has to do with immigration patterns. I don't know if there's more people, I don't know, if, let's say from African countries immigrating to the South hmm. versus the North. I don't know. Um, that's something I did not observe while I was there. But yeah, there's a definite difference. And yeah. there's a definite French trend. It's just like simple and chic, I would say. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what was the, um, was some fashion always something that you cared about um, since you were younger? Or when did that become something that was important for you? No, it's something I've always cared about. Um, I used to like any jeans that I couldn't fit anymore, I would cut them up and sew them back together in a different way and put them on my Barbie dolls. Only problem is I couldn't actually sew. So <laughs> once it was on the dowel, it was on the dowel mm -hmm. until I was ready to cut it off. Uh, but no, I used to draw um, fashion designs as well, but the school that I told you I left before I could study French actually got infected with asbestos. Mm. And so all of my fashion designs were left in the locker, but we evacuated and never came back to that school. And mm -hmm. so I just, so I, lo I lost oh, no. everything that I had drawn yeah. and I just never drew again. It wasn't traumatizing. I just, I haven't been inspired to draw and because I haven't drawn since I was a child. Unfortunately, my drawing level has not <laughs> increased since I was a child. But no, I've always, I mean, but now I just get to, you know, buy things and dress myself, you know, mm -hmm. in the way that I would envision these drawings to look. So yeah, I always love fashion. Nice. And when you went to France, was that like your first time leaving the country? I mean, I'm sure like a lot of people have said, since you are from Michigan, you probably have been to Canada before. But besides Canada... <laughs> besides not including Canada, was going mm -hmm. to France your first time, like, actually going, like, abroad? It was, okay. Yeah, it was. It yeah. was my first time having a passport, too, because as any Michigander or Detroiter knows, you didn't need a passport, and you still don't need a passport to go... To Canada if it's by land so mm. I did not have a passport until I studied abroad in France okay I mean how did you feel about that were you excited did you were you nervous were your parents nervous about you going away for the first time like how you know how are you and, and your loved ones feeling at the time 
Oh, no. Everyone was deaf. I mean, my parents didn't support it. And so I had to take out my first student loan for this program. Mm. Uh, they didn't want me to go. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. But, of course, they were nervous. Um, and then I was nervous. Sorry. <laughs> because, okay. like I said, this was my lifelong dream. And now it was happening. And I was just like, no, there's no way it's happening. Like, And I even <laughs> told people, like, this plane is going to crash. Not told people on the oh, plane. No. But, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I told my friends. I told my friends, like, this is not happening. This plane is going to crash. And <laughs> they called me once I landed. And they were like, Naila, you're there. It didn't crash. And I was just like, I couldn't believe it, you know. So it was really surreal for mm. me. Yeah. Like a dream come true. Exactly. Yeah. Now it's just like, huh, am I doing this again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was friends. But then you went from that to, I mean, obviously you went back to MSU, you finished your studies, you graduated, and then you ended up in South Korea. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, after France, I really caught the travel bug. And mm. then also this is when Instagram started blossoming and taking off. I think mm -hmm. Instagram had probably been around since like, I don't know, 2010 or something. Yeah. No, I'm sorry, 2000 and like, I don't know. Oh, eight or oh, maybe nine, like maybe? yeah, two thousand and eight or something. But it wasn't that big. And even when I went to France, it wasn't that big. But I feel like when I came back, that's when you started to see the travel blogging and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that caused a lot of envy. But also, just going to France just made me catch like a travel bug, and I was just like, I need to go somewhere and I don't really care where I go I just need to go somewhere mm -hmm. and like I said by me working in the international student office which shared an office with study abroad I was really aware of their programs and what was available and a lot of uh, or one thing that most students chose to do was to teach English abroad mm -hmm. and so because I was studying Japanese um, I knew about the JET program and unfortunately, I actually failed my second year of Japanese, but that was my fault. I had too much on my plate, mm. and something had to something had to be let go. And unfortunately, I picked Japanese, yeah. which is horrible since it's a five credit class. Ooh. Obviously, that affected my GPA. Yeah, but um, I just I was studying French four hundred level. I was studying Turkish. I was studying Japanese. Plus, I still have my psychology classes. And I have weight. And Japanese is a course that takes place every day, Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. So there's no breaks. You have a test every single day. And I just didn't have. And I was working also. Yeah. You know, I was working two jobs at That's that time. Lot. Yeah. And I was like in every club and organization that you could imagine. So I something had to fall. And it was that. And I still. But I still asked my teacher to write me a recommendation. And she kind of looked like looked at me like I was stupid like why would you ask me that you know you're failing my class uh but she did it mm -hmm. I have no idea what she wrote on it um because it was a sealed envelope so to this day I have no idea what she wrote yeah and this was also not a professor that actually knew my Japanese ability because uh, my first year I just like ace Japanese and I even asked the teacher could I be absent to get my hair dyed for my 21st birthday she was like <laughs> Yeah, like, because I had perfect scores mm -hmm. in the class. 
but this next professor, you know, I had never showed her what I was really capable of. So I don't know what she wrote on the recommendation. I don't know if that impacted my um, application to JET, but I did not get accepted into JET. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was like, I don't, re- I don't really want to go back to France because I want to experience new places, but I knew that you could teach abroad in France as well. So I applied to that and I also didn't get accepted. Mm-hmm. And that made me take a step back and realize what am I doing wrong and then also to research other programs and so at this point it was just about okay which program pays the most because <laughs> I have this loan right. studying abroad in France <laughs> I want to get rid of it yeah. and that's when I saw that working in Asia pays the most and the next best program was um, EPIC in Korea and mm-hmm. EPIC stands for English program in Korea <laughs> but um yeah, so I applied for that, and I really put my all into that application, and I noticed that before I was just saying, I really want to travel, I really want to travel, but you're going to teach, so that's probably not what they wanted to hear. Right. So on this application, I said, I really want to teach, <laughs> mm-hmm. I really want to give back to kids, and that's not a lie. Whenever It doesn't matter if that's my life passion or not, if that is a role that I'm in, I always give my all, mm-hmm. so... Although I do not want to be a teacher, I did give my all in that role, um, and I did get accepted. And so that's how I ended up in Korea. But I already was listening to K-pop before I went, so it's not like Korea was a completely random country. Mm-hmm. Like, I already loved Korean style, and I already loved Korean music. I just never thought I'd be living there. And yeah. none, nevertheless, not for two years at yeah. that. Wow. And where in Korea were you? Were you in the same place those two years? No. So the first year I was in a very rural place. I feel like we don't have a word for this in English. Like it's it wasn't a town. It was smaller than a town, but it wasn't a village. It was like bigger than a, it's something in between that. Okay. And it's not a word that exists <laughs> in English. Um, but I lived like basically on the border of North Korea um, in this military town and so all of my students were children of military officers or farmers because that's it was just this rural like village surrounded by mountains um old women in the middle of the street cleaning rice like it was your very traditional korean setting Mm -hmm. and then the second year I, i wanted to live closer to seoul um, but not necessarily in Seoul. And so I ended up living in a city called Namyangju, which is right outside of Seoul. Okay. Um, I know, like, here in the States, at least, it's like a... Well, I guess it depends on what type of media you consume. But it's like, North Korea is, like, this really scary place, right? And mm-hmm. you said you live, like, on the border. So, right. I mean, did you have any, <laughs> like, concerns about living in that area? Or is it kind of just, like, a, a thing that didn't bother anyone who was living there? Like, what was what was that like for you? Um, so, first of all, I didn't have the choice, didn't have a choice for the first mm-hmm. year that I lived in Korea. Because the first year I went through Epic, like I said, but the second year I didn't. I did it on my own and worked at a private school, so it was my choice Um, But the first year, I didn't have a choice. And so the way Epic works is you do this basically 20-page application. Mm. um, And you, um, if you make it through that application stage, then they call you for a Skype interview. 
uh, which I made it through and I got the Skype interview and then I got an acceptance email on my birthday of that year, which was amazing. Um, And then, so they ask you your preference in the application of where you want to work. But what Epic does is they compile a database of people who have, you know, passed and made it to the final round. And when a new position opens up, because this is a government funded program, and so they're covering the whole country. And when a new position opens up, they're going to call who's next in line. Um, And if you have a preference and it's not in that area, they're not calling you. And I wanted to get away from Michigan (laughs) as soon as possible. Mm. So I put no preference. And again, like I said, I consumed the music, but I didn't really know too much about Korea to begin with. So obviously anyone's preference who doesn't know anything is the big cities which is Seoul and Busan yeah and I wanted to put that but I also just really wanted to get away um so it wasn't my choice of area and I didn't really know anything about it and you and I don't think Epic works this way now but the thing is you do a week orientation and you still don't know where you're gonna be they they haven't told you where you've been placed you've just signed this contract saying okay you're coming in But we'll tell you. I think they tell you before you arrive the province. But that's like saying you're going to be in Michigan, but you don't know where. You know, Mm. you could be in the upper peninsula of Michigan. (laughs) Um, So it was like that. They told me the province, but they didn't tell me where until the last day of orientation. And obviously hearing the name Wontong didn't mean anything to me. It doesn't mean anything to female Koreans either. They don't know what Wontong is. And they assume that I, as an American and mispronouncing a city called Wanju. And I'm like, Wanju and Wontong don't even sound the same, <laughs> but they really believe that I'm not pronouncing it right. But because all Korean men have to do two years of military service, they know what I'm talking about because mm. I lived in a military town. Right. And if they haven't served in that town, then they have a friend that has. Uh, and so, like I said, that meant nothing to me. I wasn't really scared, but what scared me is because it's a military town, there would just be tanks hmm. in the, and there was only, there was only one main road. So it's like, I would have to wait to cross the road, not for cars, not for people, for a lot for a parade of tanks. Wow. <laughs> just, and, they, and it was just normal to see tanks. And it was just normal that half of the town were military soldiers. And mm-hmm. these boys were younger than me. So it's like, I shouldn't be intimidated, but it's hard not to when right. they're carrying like assault rifles on them and Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're loaded or not but you know it's just really intimidating but I know these boys are only like 18 19 and I was like I think 23 or 24 when I went there um and also helicopters would constantly be flying over and these aren't like Fox News helicopters these are the ones where you're about to drop soldiers into Mm. like kill everyone in the village and so I didn't know if these were North Korean helicopters or anything like that um, and so I would always be ready to duck, like you see in those 1960s <laughs> bombing films, like those that World War Two Vietnam War mm. preparation videos. Like I was ready to get under my desk in a classroom and do what I saw in those videos. But no one else was blinking, blinking an eye, like nothing. Mm-hmm. So I just followed suit with the people, and like if I didn't see the villagers panicking, then I didn't panic at all either so it is like you said the media i think most people even my family like even when i told them 
Korea to this day is the safest place that I've ever lived in and mm-hmm. they still don't believe me and they still take the news's word over mine but even living I mean honestly speaking the border is probably the safest place because that's where most yeah. of the military is true <laughs> okay so it wasn't like so bad it just took a lot of getting used to Right. Um, and you said with teaching, that wasn't like your live stream or anything, but that was your job. That's what you were there to do. And you mm-hmm. gave it your all. What was that like for you? Because had you taught before? Was that your first time teaching? Um. So, like, I became friends with some of my French teachers. They weren't, I don't think they had the qualification of professor. They were just TAs. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously their TAs are a lot closer usually in our age than professors are and so um, I became friends with them and they were like hey we do this after school program so at MSU they would have like I don't know kids in the area like actual kids not you know college students Mm -hmm. come up to MSU and they could learn Japanese or German or French or Spanish And I guess the TAs would teach that. And they were like, hey, do you want to volunteer and help us? And so I had done that. So I taught um, French for kids. And I also volunteered and did the Japanese for kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I had worked at a daycare. There's a daycare center in Spartan Village. So I had volunteered there. Um, Let's see. What else? Oh, and oh, right before I left MSU, like literally three months before I left, I just got uh, another part-time job where you taught English over the phone to mm. people in South Korea. And so that's obviously one of the things I told them in the interview um, that I had taught over the phone. But they those were adults, mm-hmm. and now I had to teach children. Um, so this was my first face-to-face teaching a class of 30 kids experience but I guess not my first time you know teaching yeah how how I mean how difficult or easy maybe was it for you to adjust to being in like in a classroom setting Mm -hmm. you know well you so you work with a Korean co-teacher because Mm -hmm. obviously the kids don't speak English in Korea officially they're not supposed to start learning English until third grade um and so I was teaching third grade, <laughs> so mm-hmm. they, you know, they didn't know any English, and so you've got the Korean teacher, which they've actually gone to school for education, and so they would give me a lot of help on how to plan things, and then with Epic, I told you there was that one-week orientation, and so that's what they go over as well, is like lesson planning and things like that, um, but being in front of, like... <laughs> Because those kids, like, live in a village, they were quite rowdy at first, (laughs) but they were also so innocent and pure because they didn't, uh, soul, you know, is really big on, like, plastic surgery. They didn't have that, you know, influence coming in. They didn't, when they saw my MacBook and my iPhone, they were just like, oh, my gosh, you know, like, so impressed by these electronics that they don't have because they're parents are farmers and stuff like that so they were humble and good kids but they were also so rowdy literally throwing desks outside oh the window goodness. or at each other so it took a lot I mean it would but it wasn't just me 
as the foreign English teacher, also my Korean teacher, we really had to work together and see what worked for these kids. Um, because even though they had studied education, they were also new to teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, they had never taught as well. <clears throat> and so we both had to, like, develop this plan. Okay, so you weren't alone. Yeah. You weren't alone and no. you were able to figure it out. Um, do you have, like, a, a favorite part or least favorite part about teaching from those two years that you spent teaching in Korea? Well, my least favorite part is the teaching. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my favorite part were the students. Mm-hmm. Absolutely the students. Absolutely. Like, I from especially from that first year. And I feel like because it's your first time, you develop this, you know, this unbreakable bond. And those kids, so... Like, in the U.S., we don't really use apps to communicate. We just maybe Facebook Messenger or Instagram DMs. But, you know, in other countries, they're using Line in Japan, WhatsApp in Europe, um, and Kakao Talk in Korea. Mm-hmm. So they those kids added me on Kakao Talk. And I was like, this should be fine. This doesn't cross the line because I'm not their teacher anymore. I'm leaving, right? <laughs> I never know how to approach that. But yeah. I do want them to be able, like, for example... If they get accepted into a great university and it's because of their English skills, I want them to come back to me and say, thank you, Naila teacher, for Mm -hmm. what you did. But it was absolutely the kids. And they were still calling and texting me. I left that school in 2015. They were still calling and texting me up until 2017. Oh, wow. And unfortunately, I have not heard from them. And it, like kind of breaks my heart because I wish they would reach out to me and I can't reach out to them as the adult because then it's just creepy (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but I really love and adore those kids and even during my second year when I didn't live there I would still go back to the town Mm. um, and visit the people at the restaurant because you know everyone knew who I was and and I would run into some of the students you know and so see how big they've gotten they would just be riding their bikes and they're like (laughs) Naila? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you, you said after the first year, you moved closer to Seoul. Um, right. Was that just because you wanted to experience more of what Seoul was like? Or were you tired of living in the the town that you were living in at first? What was, like, the, I guess, the motivating <clears throat> factor of you moving closer to the, the big city? It was definitely uh, being tired of living in the countryside and... I mean, uh, there were so many factors. One, like, my job was gone um, because, unfortunately, Epic, well, not Epic, but the Korean government in general is kind of having this debate that's still going on to this day is do we really need to pay for foreigners to come and teach English when we can do it ourselves? Mm. And it's a lot cheaper. Um, And so they've cut back on the funding for that. And they're slowly weeding it out and so they've started with saying okay we can't have multiple foreign teachers at a school there can only be one and unfortunately for me there was already a guy from Wisconsin there who had, he was there uh, he was he had been working there years before me but uh, because his you have to sign your resign your new contract six months before it ends so obviously his six months approached before mine Mm. so once he resigned it my fate was sealed because there could only be one foreign teacher at the school um so i could no longer work there 
and if I and if they were going to relocate me to another uh, town or city in that province, they weren't going to help with moving or pay with moving. And I'm like, how am I going to move all my stuff, you know, to mm. this other place? Yeah. Um, and so, um, and then also, like, I wanted to do modeling, and I couldn't really do that because of the bus schedule. Um, and so I had to take, like, basically the equivalent of Greyhound buses into Seoul. Because uh, obviously there's no modeling in the countryside. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but those buses only ran until about 10 p.m. Um, and obviously even earlier on Sunday. And so that didn't really give me a lot of time to do things. And I was at work Monday through Friday. Even model agencies don't necessarily work on Saturday and Sunday. And so I just wanted to be closer to the main city so I could pursue what I wanted. But jokes on me, that wasn't necessarily the best decision. But I don't know. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. It wasn't as far as modeling goes? Uh, well, I still I thought I would have more time if I worked for a private school. I actually worked more hours and I got paid a lot less. Because when you live in the countryside in Korea, they give you an extra stipend just for living in the countryside mm-hmm. like and not having access to things that people in Seoul have access to. Yeah. Um, and so I was not making the same amount of money that I was making when I moved closer to the city and I was way, I was working way more hours though mm. so it was you know I was working like basically 8 to 8 are you serious? yes oh very goodness. serious it was crazy and it was and there was no break that was the thing I, I like even so with Epic you just you're uh, required to do so many hours it doesn't matter if you're actually teaching or not, but you have to be in that school building mm-hmm. for so many hours. And so I was supposed to be there from nine to five, but I was done teaching by like one or 12 on most days. But that's why I was so upset is because I had so much time and I couldn't use it to do other pursuits because I had to still sit in that building until five. Yeah. And I had, you know, my, I had a good lunch break. My lunch break was like an hour long. Um, and like I said, I would be finished teaching. But when I moved closer to Seoul, I worked eight to eight straight. Nothing like no break. Even our lunch was spent in the classroom with the kids. So mm. I didn't have my only break was the five minutes I would go to the restroom. That's wow. that was my only break. I mean, did that burn you out? I'm feeling kind of burnt out just listening yeah. to you talk. No, about that. I actually so I actually quit that job, but I I didn't quit specifically because of the burnout because you know if you're doing something you love or if you're surrounded by good people, it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily feel like a burnout, but right. I wasn't. It was working at that school and I hope this doesn't offend anyone and I actually came from a household where this was prevalent. So I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but working in that school was like being in an abusive relationship where you cannot get out of it, mm. but you're stuck in it. And it was like that. And I'm obviously I'm stuck in it because of this contract, because if I break it, then I no longer have business being in that country yeah. and I need to leave immediately. But at the same time, they were, you know, they didn't treat the teachers right at all, at all. And they were lying to the parents and the students. It was just too much. 
And I found out when I got there that they were listed on several blacklists and Yikes. It was just it was a lot. It was a lot for like my mental state. Mm-hmm. It was a lot. Um luckily I made friends with like one of the South African co-workers there and we're still you know very much best friends to this day and we kind of needed each other mm-hmm. for that job but it was yeah it was not I would not recommend that school to any of my <laughs> Korean friends that have kids and want to send their children somewhere it was not it's not they they're they're lying to mm. everyone yeah um well I know you said you worked a lot so you didn't have as much uh free time as you did when you were in the countryside but like were you able to do some things that made living in that area more enjoyable for you yeah so uh when I was working at the private school the second year I took up pole dance Hmm. um and it's not I just I took it up because I wanted you know I wanted some form of fitness because when I was in the countryside, I had so much time on my hands. And I, like I said, I couldn't always go to Seoul either because of the bus schedule or because of money. Because, I mean, it costs the same amount as a Greyhound bus as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't always, I would try to go to Seoul, I think, twice a month. That's what I would try and do. But any other time when I couldn't get there, I would spend the weekends riding my bike. And so I would ride my bike for three to five hours a day. Mm. And I would ride it into the next city. Mm-hmm. You know, I would, I would be riding up and down mountains. Like, I lost so much weight. I'm not a I'm not a big person to begin with. I was a size four when I went there. And I went down to, like, a size two mm. uh, when I left there. And so I was so active. And that was one of my main reasons for, like, staying in Korea is because I'm not obviously as active in Michigan and so when I moved to the city that was closer to Seoul um, I was going to Seoul every single weekend every sometimes at night just to get almond milk mm-hmm. because at first I couldn't find it in, in the town I was living in but then they started selling it eventually but sometimes I would have to go to Seoul just to go to the foreigners district just to buy you know some dairy free uh, products yeah. and things like that so any free time I had, unfortunately, I was using it to go to Seoul, which didn't leave me with any time to be active and exercise. And so I decided I would take a pole dance. And that actually turned out to be a great stress reliever as well. And then my coworker, who I told you I became good friends with, took it with me. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it right now. <laughs> we're, both, we're both in grad school right now. He's in Canada. And then I'm here in London. Yeah. So I that I can pick it back up as well. Nice. Nice. Okay. And uh, obviously in Korea, is um, the foreign population is not very high. And I'm right. sure the, like, the percentage of that foreign population that's also black is not that high. Mm-hmm. Um, as, a, as a black woman, what was your own experience being in Korea in a place where not many people look like you? Um, so I, I feel like that's one of the questions that people ask most you know (laughs) an Asian country and I'm sure you've gotten it as Mm -hmm. well um so I would say like probably for the first time in my life (laughs) my race wasn't necessarily the biggest factor I mean because they just looked at me as a foreigner in general Mm -hmm. not as just like this black person and I'll tell you the reason why that is because and I mean no one's ever told me this to my face but from my own experience 
I believe that I fit their perception of beauty of a foreigner, mm. not their perception of beauty in general. Because if you put me against another Korean woman and ask who's more attractive, they would definitely pick the <laughs> Korean woman. Mm. But as a foreigner, I fit their perception of beauty. Why? Because I'm tall, I'm thin, and I had long hair extensions mm -hmm. in my hair. They weren't straight. They were kinky hair extensions but this was this was a hair that no one else in korea had and so it really really made me stand out my students called me lion or <laughs> they would call me ramen hair oh my goodness <laughs> so yeah so that really made me stand out and i was i was always treated very well in korea and, and if i wasn't again it was because i was a foreigner in general it was not because I was black. Mm. Um, I would say, unfortunately, people from Africa mm. get the worst treatment. But once Koreans find out I'm American, like, they don't, you know, treat me differently. And in terms of finding, um, like, my own community of people that look like me. So the first year that I lived in Korea, uh, usually what... Um, schools will try to do is put the teachers all in one apartment building. Mm -hmm. You, Everyone gets their own apartment. Each teacher gets their own apartment, but all the foreign teachers are usually in one building. Mm -hmm. And so I was, there were five of us in total in the whole like village. And it was the first time where black people were not the minority <laughs> in, in terms of the foreigners. Because there was there was me uh, from the U.S. and then there were two other girls from South Africa, but they were black. Mm -hmm. And then there were two white people from the U.S. And so you know it was three against two. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even and even all the so once you know obviously we're dropping off like flies because our contracts are ending mm -hmm. at different dates. And so even the replacements that came in. We're still black. So, mm -hmm. I mean, but they were like from the UK. They were from US. They were from Australia and things like that. But it, I don't know. It's just something about that, that town. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but then the second town that I lived in, there was, I mean, at my school, because it was a private school, this wasn't like at um, the first year I worked at, you know, a kindergarten through eighth grade mm -hmm. kind of school. But this was a private school, mostly kindergarten didn't need that big of a staff um so there were only three of us foreigners and i was a minority but it's funny because the other two were actually from africa mm. yeah. <laughs> and i'm from the u.s but i was the only black person but yeah they were both uh white south african um but i just needed a support system in general and that's where my one co-worker dylan came in but i don't think i ever needed one of my race that makes sense mm. and you do need that in general but in korea i just kind of needed any foreigner right. that could just relate to the struggle of being a foreigner in korea mm -hmm. okay i know you said you got paid significantly less with the private school job but um i mean you mentioned like loans being a, a motivator for you going to korea because it pays the most to teach in in asia um, mm -hmm. Did that end up being worthwhile for you in terms of, like, your financial p plans or paying off loans? No, but it's because of my own... <laughs> 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 it's 
bad <laughs> spending habits. So the first year, I very well could have saved up a lot and probably paid off paid off that loan because I only had a $6,000 loan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just spent so much on clothes and I, I shouldn't have. The second year, though, I actually had 5000 saved up the second year. No, like I had 5000 saved up when I went into my second year mm-hmm. and that totally got spent because like I said, I was no longer making the money that I was used to. Yeah. And so now I was having to come out of my pocket so much all the time because I, I mean, anytime I go abroad, I still have bills to pay in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so I was having to pay for a lot. And also, whenever my friend that I told you about from South Africa, Dylan, whenever he was broke, I would pay for him as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't regret it, but maybe I should stop being so nice. (laughs) 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 But I, but I love him. He was, he was. If if I was gonna do it for anyone, he was a good person to do it for. Yeah, yeah, being a good friend. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And so what was it after that second year you figured you had, I don't want to say had enough, like you hated Korea, but like you felt like it was time to move on. And so you came back to the States or was it that job that made you want to leave Korea? I would say it was mostly the job that made me want to leave. But I mean, through the job, I also discovered because what a lot of foreigners do and I don't think this is just a phenomenon um, that's specific to Korea I think this is teaching English in any country in general Mm -hmm. I think what a lot of foreigners tend to do is use that as a safety net Um, I mean unless this has nothing to do with the people who genuinely have an interest in education and genuinely want to be a teacher but for those of us who don't Mm -hmm. and know that we don't Mm -hmm. I think we tend to use it as a safety net why because it's not quite being an adult but it's no longer being an undergrad as well and somewhere in the middle it's this bubble it's this shielded comfort zone um where we don't have as many responsibilities because when you teach abroad if you work for a good employer that you know they're providing you with housing they provided your flights um the only thing you have to pay for is your utilities and whatever bills you might have in another country um but it's it's a really comfortable lifestyle i mean even like i another thing i didn't like about my employer is that he paid my bills meaning he took it directly from my paycheck Mm. so i never saw what the full amount of my paycheck was because by the time i got it he had already taken out my utility bills and I told him, you know, I can pay my bills Mm -hmm. myself 25. I can do this. And he said, he thought about it. And then he was like, "Mm, no, it's just easier. I can just take it straight from my (laughs) account. So yeah, that was like another thing Mm -hmm. that I didn't like. Um, and so that was even more comfortable. Like I'm not even paying my own bills. Mm. Like someone else is doing, I mean, it's my money, but someone else is clicking the buttons and sending it off for me and so I you know I think I got to the point where I was fed up with the job but also I was becoming more comfortable and okay I think I can do this now like I don't need to use Korea 
as a safety net. I think I can go out on my own and tackle my dreams. And coming to London to do this master's program that I'm doing Mm -hmm. had been a dream of mine. And I don't know, I guess I was just too afraid to leave my comfort zone, but I was like, it's time. And the fact that I was able to end my contract early, three months earlier than it should have, uh, really told me that I was comfortable with leaving Korea finally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As you mentioned, you're in in London now. Uh, What about this particular grad program was your dream? Was it being in London? Was it being in your particular school? Or was it the you know, the degree that you're pursuing, what about it was something that appealed to you for so long? It was the degree that I'm pursuing. It's a very, like, niche degree, Mm -hmm. which is cold word for I can't make money. (laughs) But but I'm, like, I'm not a good student. I feel like I'm a very, you know, smart person, but I'm not a good student. I'm very lazy. Mm. Um... And But I do well when I'm inspired, yeah. you know? And so I knew that if I was going to go back to school, I would have to be inspired by what I was studying because just to, like, you know, at MSU, like, you have these requirements for your major, and there might not be classes that you necessarily want to take, but they're classes that you have to mm-hmm. take. Um, and so those classes would always be classes that I don't didn't do well in because this was just something I was forced into doing. And so I was like, this really has to be my choice and it has to be my interest if I'm going to go back and get a master's degree. And especially after five years of being out of school. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the program I'm doing is called Psychological and Psychiatric Anthropology. Um, And so this school is the only school in the whole world that offers Mm -hmm. it. And I know that because I have been doing research for three Mm -hmm. years before I finally decided to do this yeah do you want to be a therapist or are you looking to be like a researcher or work in academia like what's your aspiration connected to what you're studying right now so um before I thought I wanted to be a researcher I really thought so with all my heart until now I'm like learning the process and I'm like no I don't want to be a researcher but I was thinking of what I wanted to do because I actually had to do a Skype interview for this program Mm -hmm. uh, before I got accepted and I was thinking of the possible questions that he might ask me and I thought you know the most common is what do you want to do with this degree Mm -hmm. and so I just like quickly thought of something which was working for the UN but the more I think about it the more I think I do want to do that because it involves helping people which is why I pursued psychology in the first place Mm -hmm. and then it involves Uh, hopefully working with immigrant or refugee populations or me working in a different country, which is obviously my (laughs) aspiration since I've been around the world now. But um, and I would hope that would take me to different parts of the world and I would see different cultures and just be able to help them. And I don't know what position because, I mean, position varies on the country with the UN and then there are new positions available every year. But I'm just hoping to, I don't know, like try some jobs or volunteer opportunities and see what calls to me. Okay. I mean, you still have time, right? Because it hasn't been long since you started, right? Oh, no. No, it hasn't been long. But this program is just like very quick. It's not, it's unlike any program that we would ever have in the U.S. Mm. So I'm actually done with classes. 
even though I just started in September. I'm done with classes. Um, and now it's just my dissertation period. And so okay. I just work on my dissertation until September. And I submit it in September. And then I graduate in December. Oh, okay. So, so it's only one year. It's only one okay. year. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, was it difficult applying to your program? Or I guess just applying to go to school in the UK? Was that a difficult process? Um, it was more so expensive than <laughs> difficult. I mean, once I got accepted and then I had to go through the visa process because a visa costs $800 here. Mm. So, and that's crazy because, again, working in international student office at um, MSU and then actually before I came here, I was working at a language center in Southfield. Mm-hmm. And so I was a I was part of the admissions process for students coming in. I know that the visa to come to the U.S. only costs 200 Wow. But for us to go here, it costs 800 So that, it's more so expensive. But applying, I just needed to write, you know, a letter of interest. And then I need to get two letters of recommendation. So I got one from my Turkish professor. Obviously not going the route of getting one from the Japanese <laughs> professor again. <laughs> got one from my Turkish professor and then I worked at a mental hospital in Detroit as well so I got one from a psychiatric nurse mm, okay yes it wasn't that bad at all um, I didn't have the GPA so I guess message to anyone who could be listening don't let people tell you no literally don't let them tell you no <laughs> Uh, I didn't have the GPA to get in. I think they wanted a 2.8. My overall is a 2.5 mm-hmm. because of those Japanese classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But I was just like, literally, by points, though, it would be different if you wanted me to have a 3.5 and I'm asking you to keep me in. Like, a 2.5 and a 2.8 is really not that big of a difference. Mm-hmm. It's like a 2.8 is what? I don't know. A, a C plus and I have a C that's this the difference between a plus and not having a plus. That's not really a big difference. And also, my uh, you know my grades were from five years ago, and I just had been working. Yeah. So I wrote them back when they told me like, unfortunately, you don't have the qualifications because I think what they do is an initial screening, and then they submit the applicants onto the professors in the department. Mm-hmm. And so they did that initial screening and I didn't make it through. And I was like, hold up, you're not going to deny me this. Like, let the professor make the choice because I don't want you. It's not fair to judge me on something that happened five years ago. I was like, do you realize a five year difference is like me trying to get into university and you asking to see my grades from fifth grade? (laughs) That's the same difference. (laughs) Right. And that doesn't make any sense. So I was like, you need to judge me on what I've been doing in these past five years. And what I've been doing is I've been teaching in Korea. I've worked in a mental hospital. I've worked with kids who have autism. And I can give you recommendations from all of those. Like, I've been praised by the head of state for my work with kids with autism. Mm -hmm. Like, I need you to judge me on that. And I need you to have the professors judge me on that. And so they were just like okay we're sending it to the department and then the department asked me for a Skype interview and then they were like okay we're gonna accept you and so far my grades have been straight B's B as in boy Mm -hmm. and that's me doing the essay the night before so imagine (laughs) what I could get if I'd actually done the work on time yeah 
No, that's actually very uh, poignant, poignant, and I appreciate you saying that because, um, like you said, it's not that you aren't intelligent. It's that in like certain learning environments, people might not perform as well, but that doesn't mean that they don't have like a ton to offer. And I know that especially with like study abroad programs or maybe even grad school programs, it's like this perception that like if you're not high achieving, then you don't deserve to participate. High achieving by like you know grade standards or whatever. Um, but, uh, I'm glad that you had the, the confidence and the knowledge of, you know, what you'd been up to, to fight for yourself basically and advocate for yourself and be like, no, like y'all need to give me a chance. Cause I've been doing all these great things and this, you know, there's so much more than just my GPA, you know, right. and, uh, and it worked out. You're in your program yeah. you want to be in, you're doing well and you know. That's great. And you just finished classes. That's amazing. Wow. I assumed it would be two years. So I didn't know it was only one year for your program. Yeah. 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 Um, how have you adjusted to being in London? I mean, I know, like, compared to when you went to France, when that was your first time going somewhere, and then Korea, where you felt like you've been, you'd kind of, uh, I guess, grown up enough to embrace being a quote-unquote adult, like, <laughs> having to handle things on your own. And, you know, with the UK, this is something you wanted to do. This is something you've been thinking about, researching on for years. This was, like, something you were uh, ready for, something you were really intent on. So moving to London, like, did that not... Was there, like, no adjustment period at all for you since you that was, like, where you wanted to be? Um, or was that did that still take time to to get used to once you moved? Like initially, there was no adjustment period just because I didn't have time. Mm-hmm. Um, even after I got accepted, financials were such a huge huge thing. Like I was only working part time in Detroit, um, so I was only making twelve an hour, mm. working twenty eight hours a week. So scraping together that 800 was a lot. And then I still needed to pay, I think, an application. Like, uh, no, you need to put down, like, um, you know, maybe like 5% of your tuition. So they wanted me to pay, like, 2000 or 3000 mm. And, like, I don't have this money. And so I was looking into scholarships. But, you know, everything's approaching and I need to leave and I'm not getting these scholarships because again, my GPA is, you know, not good. And I was like, why aren't there scholarships for being fashionable or something? Like (laughs) something I'm good at, you know, but there was nothing. And I like told my great aunt who's like 91 and she lives in the Bronx. And like, I went to New York, um, and I told her about this, and I told her, you know, Aunt Mitty, I really don't want to take out loans. I, I don't really have loans like most Americans do, mm-hmm. um, but I know my family can't pay for it because they're not in the financial status that they were when I was at MSU. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Naila, you do whatever you need to do to get there. Don't you worry about those loans. If you need to take out a loan, you do it. This is your dream. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, here's this 91 year old woman telling me this, like I need to listen. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, there are a list of schools that FAFSA in the U S will fund outside of the U S. Uh, so anyone who wants to do higher education abroad, FAFSA 
will give you loans for that. And so um, I applied and they gave me 50000 for this year. Wow. And yeah, yeah, I know. That's a lot. <laughs> it, it, it's to cover everything. Yeah. It's not just tuition. It's to cover the flight. It's to cover the cost of living. What they do is they communicate with the school and ask the school to give them, um, you know, an like a preliminary list of all the expenses that a student would have, um, books and everything included. And then FAFSA says, okay, well, according to this list, then this is how much we'll give you. And so, yeah, so I've gotten 50000 for this year, which, you know, sounds great to have $50,000 and not great to pay it back. Mm. But everything just happened so fast and so last minute and I didn't have a place to stay when I got here and so I was I actually was not sleeping or eating weeks leading up to getting here Mm -hmm. and even when I got here I still did not have a place it took me almost two weeks to find a place to live and how you know stressful is that to be in a country your money's running out the money you came there with and you got orientation starting next week and you don't even have a place to live. I'm staying at an Airbnb, but I'm like, I can't stay here forever. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to have guests coming in soon and stuff like that. But luckily they were so nice. They were like, you know, we're going to block it off. So nobody else can book it. You stay here as long as you need to Mm -hmm. in order to get a place. Mm -hmm. They were so nice. Like we're, we're friends now. And they've they've even asked me to cat sit for them. So (laughs) I've like gone back to their place and because we don't live far from each other mm-hmm. um but yeah i didn't have time to adjust in the beginning but i think the day that i signed my apartment lease is the day that i slept for the first time oh my goodness in weeks <laughs> but i think probably i started adjusting or trying to adjust literally in december mm-hmm. and it's only march now mm-hmm. so I, I actually would not say i have adjusted well it's different when you're in a completely foreign environment like Korea than when you're in an environment like this where we speak the same language yeah. and it theoretically should mostly be the same. But again, like I discovered with France, it's not just culturally. And I don't know if I like the culture. That's the problem. Um, and so I wouldn't say that I've adjusted and even some of my classmates will tease me about that because like for example English people have the stereotype that Americans don't understand sarcasm Um, (laughs) but you know Americans definitely use sarcasm Mm -hmm. but what I've noticed is that we don't use it in the way that they do Mm -hmm. Um, first of all we change our expression you know like we break the act and I think that's so important so we'll say something sarcastic and then we'll start laughing mm-hmm. or we'll smile to let the person know that we're joking. Yeah. They don't. They don't <laughs> do that here. So it's it's not that I understand. I'm just like, how can you be this rude? Mm-hmm. Like I don't and, and, and they just do it with anyone. Like I wouldn't use sarcasm with someone unless this was someone I was close mm-hmm. with. You could just be going, you know, up to a cash register and they'll use it with you and it's just like, but you don't even know me. Like how I don't know. And so my classmates are like, you need to stop being so sensitive. And I'm like, you guys need to stop being so rude. I don't understand. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, I hope as, you know, you continue with your program and, 
your dissertation just living in London that you'll be able to learn more about it maybe you'll like it or maybe you'll decide that it's not for you I don't know like your brother said he wasn't very impressed I don't know you might be the same way time will tell um but I'm glad that you're you're there now uh where you wanted to be even having to go through having to jump so many hurdles and figure out so many things just to be in a place where you're settled you know one last thing I wanted to talk about is your whole model thing. I know you kind of laughed when I said you're a model, right? And you were like, uh, I'm aspiring. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it work, you know. But I really am impressed by, you know, I know your Instagram page is like the main thing you use to show off your, uh, not just you as a model and all these pretty clothing, but like the thought you put into it. I remember one time you wrote something about how like, when you go to cafes, you always have, like, flowers in the picture. And I was like, wait, does she? And then <laughs> I had to look and be sure, like, oh, my gosh, she does. Like, it's also, like, um, expression. It's an artistic expression that you do. I guess I'm wondering how uh, your modeling thing fits into your life now. Do you still try and do professional work? Or, you know, your Instagram account, is that something you do all on your own? Or do you get friends to help? Like, how is modeling going for you right now? I haven't. I've been actually discussing this with uh, some of my close friends. And they've asked me the same. Or photographers that I've worked with Mm -hmm. uh, from Detroit. They've asked me the same question. I've been really afraid to put myself out there Mm -hmm. here in London. Because in London, I'm a small fish in a big ocean. Mm -hmm. And like I was saying in Korea, my look was so unique. And the problem was I just didn't have time. But I was very much a big fish in a small... I mean, considering for, again, my race. You know, again, if you pit me against a Korean model, they're going to pick the Korean mm-hmm. model. But if they're looking for foreign models, they had there were tons of white people. There were tons of... Uh, European, specifically Russian or Polish people that would come there Mm -hmm. and model or German people that would come there and model. They had so much uh, to pick from from that, but I was the only one you know, that had those hair extensions Mm -hmm. and tall and and black and so, but I just didn't have time and I actually um, was with a lot of the agencies in Korea like I was in contact with them and they would text me all the time can you come on a Wednesday can you come on a Friday but Monday through Friday mm-hmm. I'm working so I could never do any of those things and they were still texting me when I was in Michigan and and up until I got here really and I'd be like oh sorry I live in London now or sorry I left Korea I'm in Michigan mm-hmm. but here I've just been so afraid to put myself out there because there are tons of girls that look like me and not only do they look like me they look 10 times So that, that, you know, that's really Mm -hmm. big. Um, But it was obviously nothing glamorous. It was for uh, soccer. And I've actually, I played soccer when I was in high Mm -hmm. school. Um, But, you know, I've just been afraid. But I definitely do have time. I definitely have access. Because, you know, again, living in the countryside, I didn't always have access to go to the big city. I definitely have. 24-hour access to London, and now that my classes have ended, literally my whole schedule is just open. I'm just 
been afraid and anything that I have um, put myself out there for like there are Facebook groups for this kind of stuff so I'm in uh, models in London or London models TFP and photographer I'm in like three different groups for that kind of stuff on Facebook Mm -hmm. and any ad that I respond to I don't get Mm -hmm. and so but I mean if you look at the women oh my gosh and not just looking at them I don't have low self esteem but I'm realistic. Mm-hmm. So it's not just looking at them. It's looking at their portfolio versus mine. Because my Instagram is not actually my model portfolio. I do have a link to my model portfolio on my Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but my Instagram is more of blogger style stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and a lot of bloggers can't necessarily pose. <laughs> and I think photographers okay. know that. Um, and so they're probably reluctant to work with that kind of person um, unless they are working with like let's say a small fashion brand and they're looking for a blogger that has like 50k following because it boosts you know the following and brings traffic to that fashion mm-hmm. brand so it works in their both you know favors but like obviously I don't have 50k following and then um but I, I, I would say that I can pose, mm-hmm. but my portfolio isn't the most vast. And so, okay. but yeah, but in terms of my Instagram, um, I, you know, edit everything myself and I buy the flowers myself and, and I put everything together. Like my pictures are pieced together in a specific mm-hmm. way. You know, I don't just randomly upload things. I actually plan it uh, months ahead of time. Wow. Um, but um, I have, again, there are groups for also bloggers in London. And so I met some people through that Facebook group. And we, to this, like, I met them in, like, I don't know, September, October. And we have been meeting up ever since then. And we take each other's pictures with each other's cameras. I shoot with Olympus. But, like, for example, my friend Jody shoots with um, Canon. And so she'll give me her camera and I'll take her pictures and, I'll give her my camera and, you know, we go around to these spots that we want to take pictures mm-hmm. of. Nice. Well, um, kudos to you for all the work you put into that. Um, <laughs> I just hope something works out for you because I feel like you already do a lot of good work. You just haven't gotten the attention that you need yet. So I hope things work out for you. I really do. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Okay, so I just have a, a few more questions. Um, mm-hmm. You already mentioned a couple of really good points about like loans um, in terms of like funding your travel experiences. Do you have any other like financial advice that comes to mind for people who want to study abroad or just traveling or living abroad in general? Anything that comes to mind? Um, well, like I said, definitely look check the list if you want to. Uh, study at a university abroad, check FAFSA's list because they do f- provide funding for a lot of schools abroad and you'd be surprised. And I, I mean, my school is not even, you know, when people, I think, think of England, they think of like Oxford University, you mm-hmm. know, no one from the U.S. knows Brunel <laughs> University. <laughs> um, and people here barely know it, but, but, you know, they do fund it. So I would say check into that. Um, but also, I think the main thing is just have money saved up. Don't be like me. <laughs> like, if you know you have this dream, don't blow it on clothes. You can you can buy clothes anytime. 
that that skirt it it's okay there will be a better skirt and i'm saying this but i have an asos and urban outfitters and revolve cart waiting on mm-hmm. me as i say this to you but but i am thinking it over and every day i do delete things from my cart so i just want to put that mm-hmm. out there but yeah just have money saved up that's the biggest thing because when I did have, if I didn't have that 5000 that I had saved up for my second year of Korea, I probably wouldn't have made it through. And that's why I'm not making it through now. I actually have to call my mom at least once a month, but usually it's twice a month and ask her to loan me money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's and it sucks because I haven't had to do that for the past five years of my mm-hmm. life. I had to do that once in Korea. And that's because someone used my UPS account. You know, it was fraud Mm. and they charged a $500 package and I had just paid my bills in the U.S. at that same time, which means my account was about to overdraft Mm. into a negative number because of that fraudulent, um, you know, purchase. And so I had to ask my mom to loan me money until UPS refunded me from the fraud. Um, and that that was the only time within five years that I've like really needed money. But I, I literally just asked my parents for money for six hundred dollars like two or three weeks ago, and I just have to ask my mom again this week for two hundred dollars because my rent is just so expensive mm-hmm. here. And if if I would have saved up because I had opportunities to save while I was working in Michigan, and I did not, uh, you know, take. I didn't I didn't do it so I would just say have money saved up even if it's only like I would I would say try to save up at least 800 if you're trying to go somewhere just try to have that saved up if you can but obviously the more the merrier like that that's the perfect you know thing because you just never know what's gonna happen who's gonna steal your car people have stolen my car while I'm here as well mm. there's someone in Chicago who keeps trying to use my chase card so Mm. i know (laughs) so you just never know what's gonna happen um so i would just say have money saved up that's the best thing you can do but i there are scholarships for studying abroad um but usually it's like for specific things so for like engineering or something like that Mm -hmm. and i'm not doing that um but if you're in one of those then (laughs) you should look into that okay good good and any, um, I guess, general advice regarding traveling or living abroad, like based on your own experiences, is there any wisdom you'd like to share uh, for someone who's looking to travel more or anything of the sort? I don't know. Just learn about if you're in school, just learn about the programs that your school has to offer. Teaching abroad, I recommend that to everyone. I've actually helped people get abroad um i've told them exactly what certifications they need i've given them the same website that i got my um teaching like teaching english certification Mm from um and i helped one girl go to thailand and teach so um teaching abroad is always the best way to get abroad if that's what you want to do um and that kind of just gets your foot in the door from there, you you might meet people. Like I was telling you about my South African mm-hmm. coworker Dylan. He met his boyfriend 
in Korea who's from Canada and they are still together to this day. So where is he doing his masters right in now? Canada. In Canada. <laughs> so, you know, you, I'm not I'm not saying you're going to meet the one because I got my heart oh, broken, no. but <laughs> but um you will meet friends and those friends, you know, might come to visit you or you go to visit them. And so I, this summer I have friends who I met in France in 2012, who I have not seen since 2012 and they're coming here to London and I'm going to, you know, they've contacted me and they really want to meet and they're from Russia, and, you know, they're from the UAE and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So also get involved if you're in school get involved in your organizations because at msu i was literally in every cultural organization you can think of i was in the korean student association chinese student coalition muslim student association french club turkish club (laughs) japanese club. i was in everything i even got nominated for secretary of the chinese student coalition and i was like you guys do realize that i'm not Chinese, right? I know, I know it's confusing. I look like it, but I'm not. But once you get involved with that, again, you'll meet people from around the world and you never know where life is going to take you from there. For sure, for sure. And um, as you mentioned, you've been to, been around the world so far. You're in London now. Uh, Is there any place that's like high on your list of places you'd like to go? Um, so do you mean like visit as in vacation or live somewhere either. else? Both either. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever places are on your mind at the moment. Well, th- I'm trying to plan stuff this summer. So uh, like I said, meeting people from around the world is so important. So I want to go see my friends that I have in France. Um, and then my other friend is getting married in Italy. She's not from Italy. Neither is her fiance, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they have they're having a destination wedding in Italy, and so I'm trying to plan that. And then obviously, while I'm here in the UK, I would like to visit Ireland and Scotland and other parts of England. But I have written down um, some goals of places that I want to mm-hmm. live because I'm not done yeah. yet. And I realized I, I, before I came here, I found a sheet of paper with a list of goals and one of them was obviously coming here to study and I realized that I had accomplished every single goal on that list um and so that was amazing yeah, to see amazing. because I'm not one of those people that's like oh my god this is hard. <laughs> not, like, I'm not one of those people at all but seeing that you know mm-hmm. seeing that I had made all of those goals come true and that paper was I think from 2015 mm-hmm. or something it was just amazing and so now I've jotted down a note in my phone with specific dates because that was from 2015 meaning those goals should have happened mm-hmm. sooner but I see that I need to be specific in my dreams and my goals and so I would like to live in France next mm-hmm. year um just for once and for all because I really want to be fluent in French and I think with eight years under my belt there's no reason why I shouldn't Mm. be and telling people that I've studied eight years is really just doing myself a disservice because I have nothing to show (laughs) for it uh, verbally and it's very uh, embarrassing Uh, so I would like to just live there and I don't even care if I'm working at a Starbucks or something but I just want to pick up that language once and for all for a full year this time and then after that, I would like to live in Japan because I would also like to be conversationally 
fluent in yes. Japanese. I don't, I don't ever want to know the whole language, but if I could just have a conversation, you know, that would be amazing. And then I'd like to live somewhere in Africa the year after that, because I have never been to Africa and I've never been to South America. Mm. So these are just continents that I just need to tackle. Nice. Yeah, I like how you said it. You're not done. And I'm glad you... That's amazing you, even without maybe being so uh, uh, intentional about it, met all your goals from that one list. Now you have a new list of goals. And um, I hope you are able to meet all of them because it seems like you're already on a really awesome track so far. <laughs> so my, my final question is, uh, where can people find you or keep up with you online if you'd like them to do so? Uh, so my Instagram, that's pretty much the only way. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't use LinkedIn. If you want to give me a job, okay. <laughs> but uh, I don't, I don't use LinkedIn mm-hmm. like that. Uh, my, but my name, my full name is Naila Brown. And then my Instagram handle is Naila Bizu. And Bizu means a kiss. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's an alliteration of my last name since my name is Naila yeah. Brown, Naila Pizu, yeah. without people knowing my business on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but now I guess everyone knows, but, but that's not my Facebook name, so people can't yeah. find me from that. Okay, Instagram, Naila Bizu. Perfect. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I know it's late, but I'm glad we were able to get this together. I had a really nice time talking yeah. to you. I feel like it's really odd. I feel like we were in similar circles and just never really met each other while we were at MSU. Right. Um, I know. I, I'm surprised <laughs> because even when I uh, saw your picture, I was like, no, I don't. Usually I've seen mm-hmm. people's faces. I think we just crossed paths and yeah. never. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm this- glad I got to meet you now and learn about you now. And uh, this is really great. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation as well. Uh, and I hope you're able to get some nice sleep after the day that you've had. <laughs> no, I'm, I just I just needed to use the bathroom. And once that was done, that was the okay. main thing. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll let you go. You enjoy the rest of your weekend and whatever you decide to do with your time now that your classes are over. I hope you enjoy it and get the most out of it. So. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk to you. Okay, Naila? Bye. Have a good weekend. Bye. You too. (laughs) All right, y'all. There it is. Thanks to Naila for being such a wonderful guest. And I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Acast, or Stitcher, and now also Google Podcasts. Um, Funny story. (laughs) My mom is the biggest supporter I have in my whole life, Uh, but she does not listen to Young Gifted and Abroad, at least not regularly. I think she's heard one and a half episodes so far. Uh, But anyway, the other day, she came up to me and put her phone in my face to show me that not only has she downloaded the Google Podcast app, uh, but she had subscribed to Young Gifted and Abroad on it. So, you know, she may or may not start listening regularly now. I don't know. We'll see. 
Uh, but that was, I'm glad she did that because up until then, I had no idea that Young Gifted and Abroad was on Google Podcasts. I don't use the app and I hadn't uh, submitted it to be on there, but it's there. So, Young Gifted and Abroad on Google Podcasts, another option for your listening pleasure. <laughs> and as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for next week, next week's episode is going to be really special uh, for three reasons, three main reasons at least. Um, first, it will be the big 4-0, episode 40 of this podcast will be next week. So that's pretty cool. Second um, is that for most of the past year, I thought that this interview was um, a goner. <laughs> there were some tech issues. And uh, I didn't think the audio would be usable, but now, well, now it's a different story. So <laughs> I'll tell you all about that next week. You'll have to wait and hear uh, what all happened. So that's second. And then third, uh, the guest is going to be a former classmate of mine who has been to every single continent. Yes, all seven continents, including Antarctica. She has been there and you're going to get to meet her and hear from her next week. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.